0: I think as as a leader, you're always tasked with the responsibility to model the way. And concern for community is one of the cooperative principles.
1: Welcome to another episode of CU Lead, sponsored by NetGiver, the app that enables donors and nonprofits to give and receive on a no-fee basis. On this podcast, we feature credit union industry executives and the impacts they make to communities everywhere. I'm Glenn Frechette. Today, I am joined by Kevin Martin. Kevin is an executive vice president at Schools First Federal Credit Union Kevin, I didn't think we were going to get together, man. It's a pleasure to have you. It's a
0: pleasure to be here. I'm glad we had the chance to sit down here at GAC. Well, you're a
1: busy man, so I, I suspect that's <laughs> why you had a couple of competing meetings on the day. But I
0: always make time for friends, so here I am.
1: Well, I appreciate that. But you did mention you were coming into the hall, and you got pulled in a thousand directions.
0: Yeah, that's more because the school's first, probably, than it is me.
1: Oh, come <laughs> on. I'm not
0: buying it. Well, yeah, you. we have a, a number of relationships throughout this hall and the number of uh, potential relationships throughout this hall so people are always interested to you know share how they can add value for our members or our team members
1: love it so i don't know what the right protocol is for getting distracted by yet another friend in the industry them wanting you to uh, have their attention or they want to have your attention excuse me and you get pulled away i don't know what the right protocol is there. Do you say hang on? Do you just go with it? Is it just expected? I think what
0: I tend to do is I try to do what they say. I think President Clinton used to do, okay? Whenever he was engaged with anybody, he made them feel like they were the most important person in the world. Amazing. And so, I think giving whoever you're talking to your full attention is the best thing that you can do and if others are also vying for your attention, that would be the next conversation you have. But there's nothing worse than when you're talking to somebody one-on-one and you're constantly waving at other people because it's clear that you're not focused on them. I agree So with now you. you have a small interaction with this
1: person that's not going well,
0: and insignificant interactions by just waving at others. So better to just
1: focus on one person at a time. I agree with you wholeheartedly. In fact, both of us can think of an example of someone who does exactly the opposite, (laughs) and while you're talking with them, they're looking over your shoulder, Mm. looking for someone more important. Mm. So I'm gonna know, man, if you do that to me, you're looking for someone more important than me. (laughs) Right,
0: well, again, I said I try. I try to Uh uh, focus.
1: So Kevin, I want to understand uh, your path. We don't know each other that well. We've known each other for a couple of years, but in this weird, wacky world of all things post-COVID, we only uh, have had a camera relationship. So talk to our audience about your Credit Union Nation journey.
0: Yeah, you know, I've only worked at Schools First. Um, I would say that my journey has been one of inclusion. Uh, I worked in banking before. I joined the credit union space, and as soon as I joined, I felt like I was included by people immediately. Mm. They welcomed me with open Arms, they would give me career advice, give me suggestions on how to make the transition from being a banker to being a credit union advocate. And then the, on the flip side, I've tried to create a, a space for people to have a conversation around inclusion and what I think is going to be a pillar for credit unions going forward. I think the ability to understand how different types of people from different walks of life relate to money is critical for credit unions to understand as they get prepared for the consumer of tomorrow. So I kind of summarize it as it's been a journey of inclusion, both of being included and trying to include more people in the conversation.
1: So here's what's occurring for me as I'm listening to you describe that. Don't we almost have this burden? to pay back what we've been given. So as I think about budding leaders in the credit union industry, someone gave you a shot, you just outlined that for me. Someone took you under their wing. Uh, Is that kind of your methodology in terms of people development?
0: I do believe in giving people a shot, particularly those who are looking for a shot and have that, that capacity to do something bigger than what they're currently doing. I also think this aspect of everybody who has done anything got some help from somebody at some point in their life. And that might have been advice, that might have been financial approval of a loan but somebody took a chance on them. Mm -hmm. Now, sometimes it was easy because they may have had a background that was pristine and it was like a no-brainer, or sometimes it might have been a bit of a challenging background. But ultimately, we all have been taking a chance on, and I do agree with you. I wouldn't call it a burden, but I would say that it's our responsibility as credit unions to give (laughs) consumers of modest means, A FAIR SHOT IN A FINANCIAL GAME THAT CLEARLY LOOKS TO EXTRACT VALUE FROM THEM, IT'S OUR JOB TO HELP THEM TO FIND THEIR WAY AND IMPROVE THEIR FINANCIAL POSITION SO THEY CAN TAKE CARE OF THEMSELVES AND THEIR FAMILY.
1: YEAH. I'M GLAD YOU'RE HIGHLIGHTING um, BOTH PERSONALLY AND PROFESSIONALLY WHAT HAS HAPPENED FOR YOU IN YOUR LIFE. AND WHEN I THINK ABOUT THIS PAY IT FORWARD NOTION. I can tell you that there are individuals with whom I've associated in my past and they fail to give recognition and they don't have the awareness of the good fortune they've been given. Mm. And I can tell you, Kevin, they're not my friends anymore. (laughs) They're not the people I'm hanging around with. Uh, so, So let's talk about community engagement. In your role as a leader, an executive vice president over a very large credit union or at a very large credit union, How important is it that you personally lead relative to community engagement?
0: I think as a leader, you're always tasked with the responsibility to model the way. And concern for community is one of the cooperative principles. And so, and third, I'll add, it's just as somebody who grew up in modest means in an urban environment i know how much people need help and so it's uh it's fairly easy for me i think to to show that concern for community to be involved because i know somebody needs a hand they need some help but I also work for an organization who's been doing it from day one hmm. and they have shown me other ways to give back so Schools First is a a huge supporter of the Children's Miracle Network. And we donate hundreds of thousands, if not, I think we're over a million dollars this year dedicated to that program. And who needs help more than children born with some type of medical condition through no fault of their own, and their families just may not have the financial means to address it Giving these kids a shot at life, a shot at you know a normal existence, um, and giving these parents and families hope, which is fantastic.
1: God bless you for not only acting this way as a professional, but feeling that way in your heart. I think uh, I think it's really important to walk around with that uh, understanding of how to, grateful you ought to be.
0: To your point earlier, I don't know about you, but. I haven't had a major medical issue in my life. That's a blessing. Yeah. And that's just what they call a genetic lottery. Yeah. Right? <laughs> like, it's not Put that, this <laughs> out
1: in the universe, <laughs> right. man. Come on.
0: No, I'm just saying. But I think that's the point is that to whom much is given, much is expected. Yes. Right? And so the ability to just walk through life um, and, you know, I got some bad knees with playing football, but uh, that's about it. Uh, but to be able to, hey, you know, give to a, a child or a family that needs it for surgery so that that kid may be able to play football one day or do yeah. whatever they want to do with their life, I think um, that's a blessing to be able to be in a position to be able to help and support.
1: I, I agree with you wholeheartedly. So you mentioned you're from an urban environment, and I know you played football at the University of Pennsylvania. Fill that in for me. Where was where, where did you grow up?
0: I grew up in Inglewood, California, so if you're familiar with L.A., it's Basically, LAX is right there in Inglewood. The Super Bowl was played in Inglewood. Uh-huh. Um, if you ever seen that big donut that they say is in Los Angeles, it's actually in Inglewood.
1: Okay, all right. <laughs> so you grew up there. You were recruited to play at the University of Pennsylvania.
0: Yeah. Wow. I how recruit- did that
1: happen? That, isn't it typically regionalized?
0: Yeah, yeah. I, was, I was recruited to play a number of places, uh, not the places that I wanted to go to, um, you know, I didn't get recruited by like the USC's of the world or the Texas of the world, but I did get recruited heavily by the Ivy League. Okay. Um, as a kid that grew up in an urban environment, uh, I didn't know what the Ivy League was. Um, I would have said that, you know, the best schools in the world were Stanford, UCLA, USC, in that order. Um, typical California kid, doesn't know much more about the rest of the world because it's such a great place to live. Yeah. Uh, but Yale, I think, calls my my head coach. He was also the dean of students at the time, and he calls me in his office. He says, "Hey, Yale wants to talk to you about going to school there and playing football." And um, I share this story because I was uh, I wasn't lacking confidence at seventeen years old, and I asked, "I said, where's Yale?" He said Connecticut. I was like, oh no, it's too cold. I'll never go there.
1: <laughs> <laughs> All right, forgetting the fact that it's an outstanding yeah, yeah. school.
0: Uh, that that's that is that has nothing, no bearing on me at a 17 years old. Yeah. He he calls my father, uh-huh. who I didn't live with my father at the time, but he was heavily a part of my life. Mm-hmm. And he's never told me to do anything in my life. And on the phone, I remember him yelling at me, Kevin, if Yale wants to talk to you, then you talk to him. Uh And I was like, oh, okay. That was my first indication that this was um, something worthy of my attention. Um, And so Yale turns into Harvard, turns into Penn, turns into these other schools. And then there's an article about uh, our team, and they have a little blurb about my decision for the Ivy League. Um, The all-star game, the coach makes a big deal about me deciding about the Ivy League. So I'm taking these kind of context clues. Mm. Uh, but ultimately, it was the trip that sold it for me.
1: There at uh, University of Pennsylvania? Yeah. Okay.
0: Penn is in West Philadelphia.
1: Yep. I've gone through one of those programs, as you're familiar, Cuse Institute. Yes. I've been through yeah. Wharton's program. Yeah,
0: I've been through that as well. The oh, yeah. CEO Institute is the one I went through. Um, it was nice to go back to campus again. Yeah. Um, I chose Penn in large part because it's in an urban environment. Ah. I don't think I would have fit in well at 17, 18 years old at Princeton Um, or Cambridge, so I was kind of choosing between West Philly and Harlem where Columbia is. Okay, so it's
1: not because you're a diehard Eagles fan. No, no. Or a love for cheesesteak sandwiches. No,
0: no, but they were good. Yeah, yeah. I was introduced to them right off the plane.
1: <laughs> yeah, one or two, did you? Yeah, yeah, So two quick little stories for you very quickly. Uh, I happen to agree with you regardless of where you lived or where I live, Stanford is number one on my list for mm-hmm. my kids. Okay. Also part of the Cuse Institute, I went to Stanford. I came home gushing. I, I have twin eighth graders. I came home gushing and said, "Guys, you need to you need to follow Dad on this one. This is where you're going." Because isn't that the best thing you can do as a father? Insist that your kids listen to where That's what you heard. want to go. <laughs> <laughs> um, so, what, what I will say is they are going to attend a ID camp this summer at Stanford okay. in July. Uh, soccer, uh, soccer. Okay
0: so that your influence is working
1: it's working yeah, we'll yeah. see how far it goes right, right. <laughs> all i can do is plant the seed right man. Uh, so uh, off camera i'll tell you the other story but <laughs> i want to switch gears back to social responsibility you know there's been some unfortunate incidents that have transpired in this world uh, over the last three years exacerbated by covid but even independent of and big companies and small companies are beginning to recognize this need to step up with regard to social responsibility and ensuring that people are cared for more most excuse me that people are cared for in a way very different than perhaps they had exemplified in the past as a company or corporation do you feel like credit union nation IS STEPPING UP EVEN MORE SO THAN WE HAVE HISTORICALLY WITH REGARD TO SOCIAL RESPONSIBILITY?
0: I THINK THAT CREDIT UNIONS SPECIFICALLY ARE A GREAT MODEL FOR SOCIAL RESPONSIBILITY. AS YOU MENTIONED, SOME OF OUR FOR-PROFIT BROTHERS AND SISTERS HAVE FOCUSED PRIMARILY ON PROFIT FOR CENTURIES you can do a lot of things that take away from our community, take away from people, take away from our environment, if your only motive is profit. I'd argue that that has been a flawed market or flawed uh, philosophy from the very beginning, which is why as soon as I got a taste of a different model through credit unions, I hopped right on. Are we doing more now that we are more awake, I think we're trying. Mm -hmm. I think we're at a crossroads where we need to see the intersectionality of the people helping people philosophy that we all live by and inclusion. And I think that that's more work than probably most people understand and think. But I think it is not only the right thing to do, it's an imperative given our country's changing demographics. And just to give examples, you know, I'm going to generalize here. Nobody, There is no one-size-fits-all. But in general, women have a different relationship with money than men do. A 60-year-old has a different relationship with money than a 26-year-old. Um, The urban person that grew up in an urban environment versus a rural environment, different relationships with money, white guy, black guy, you know, Colorado, California. These things add to our relationship with money in some way, and I think it's imperative if we're going to be dedicated to financial well-being, which everybody's talking about, is to understand how these other facets of people's lives... Hmm impact how they engage with the checking account, with a payments product, with, what loans they're going to need, how, well, how they think about, or if they've thought about retirement. And let that inform your product decisions. Let that inform your training decisions to create a more inclusive environment.
1: So not an easy task to fulfill, and as I'm listening to you describe the diversity that exists among a membership. What's in vogue these days is to know your member, KYM. Yes. Boy, that's a hard thing to personalize and individualize. Do schools have this right?
0: Do we have it right? I think, so we have a philosophy to start with the member and to end with the member. I think it might be easier than you might think. Hmm. Of course we have one point three million members. But we have a core members, a school employee. We use our data to help understand what does the typical school's first member look like? What's their financial income? What are their challenges when it comes to money? Where do they live? What's their social, you know, demographic makeup? And you can have multiple personas, but you probably only need three or four to cover up the line share of your membership. Okay. And the key is to understand that by focusing on the data, but focusing on a particular member set, you don't just improve things for them when you make decisions in their benefit, you'll actually improve things for everybody else as well.
1: Mm.
0: Uh, a friend of mine who works at CUNA Mutual, Angela Russell, used to give an example around equity. Uh, when it comes to curb cuts. So you know when you um, are walking across the street and the, the curb is, is lower or has a slant because um, it's made for people in wheelchairs so they can be able to cross the street uh, and not be you know, stuck trying to get up on this curb. But it also helps you know, fathers and mothers who are pushing strollers. Uh-huh. Wasn't, they're not the target audience for that, but they also get the benefit of that right um, and also for those who may just be using a cane maybe own crutches these Bicyclists. people all get benefits Yeah, and so understand that just because you're focused on a particular three or four personas or prototypes um, the benefits that you glean from that others will benefit from awesome. as well
1: awesome take awesome perspective so Kevin I'm gonna close here something I like to do uh, on a very personal level for my guests is give you an opportunity to plug an organization that's near and dear to your family uh, so please be clear on how we would get in touch or research this organization and tell us why whomever it is that, that you choose is personal and important yeah well
0: I, I am on the, I have the pleasure to be on a board of an organization called Stone Soup Child care you can just Google Stone Soup child care it's based in Stone Soup Stone Soup. All right. Yeah. Stone Soup Child Care. All right. Oh, they're based there in, in Southern California, um, and they help kids with their homework uh-huh. pre or post school, primarily helping families of modest means where the family is working two or three jobs so the kid doesn't, can't go home immediately after school, they have to wait until five or six o'clock when the parent is off work. Yeah. Anything that we can do to support them would be fantastic. I would say 60, 70% of the kids are on scholarships. That means we're covering it based on donations. Why is it important Uh, to me? I had a program just like that. I went to a school where I was the kid who was there early. (laughs) uh, And I was there till 6, 6.30 at night. Somebody helped me with my homework and then I played sports the rest of the time and without that, um, without that assistance, I wouldn't have been able to have good grades, um, and I probably would have found myself getting in trouble, being outside of school.
1: I like to say that an organization like that kept you out of the ditches of life, Yeah. just right down the center. So were you dropped off early and picked up late on account of the fact that your parents were just out busting
0: it? Yeah, they're just working. And I was fortunate enough, too, that my, my godmother was the principal.
1: Of the school? Yeah, oh. yeah.
0: So I went to school early with her, but then my mama would me up you yeah. know, when she got off work.
1: Takes a village.
0: Takes a village, 100%. <laughs>
1: well, listen, I'm glad we squeezed this in. I know there was a, a threat of a cancellation, and I'm glad that didn't happen because these aren't the same over Zoom. Yes, we can do that, yeah. uh, but I'm glad we were able to visit in person.
0: Well, this has been fantastic, and uh, thank you for the invitation. And thank you for the kind of the trip down memory lane and self-reflections. And I I love what you're doing, the ability to to be able to give and help others. Um, Please continue on that
1: journey. We will. Thank you, Kevin. Appreciate you, you, man. Have a good conference.
0: Take care.